0: Has there ever been a time in your life where somebody became your advocate? Somebody came to your defense? Somebody stepped up and took up for you? And I was thinking about this in my own life on several occasions, uh, situations have happened. But one That probably aligns with where we're going in this today, because as we're looking at Jesus revealed in the book of Hebrews, what we're gonna find is He is the one true mediator, the perfection of God expressed in humanity. He took our place. He is our perfection. He is our ultimate advocate of perfection to draw us into God's presence. So that's where we're driving. But I was thinking about the different times someone stood up for me growing up. And then I remembered just a few years ago, um, we were driving home on a late icy evening and I pulled up to one of those um, intersections with the stoplight that has four different signs that say no turn on red. Have you ever seen those those intersections before? Uh, and I learned that night they mean that. When, you, when they have a sign that says no turn on red then uh, there was a police officer over ensuring that we were reading the signs which I did not and I was just trying to get home Got a ticket, uh, wasn't happy about it. Tracy and the girls in the car taking selfie pictures with the red and blue lights behind us. It was very exciting, posting online. Um, And so Tracy became my advocate. My wife happens to be an attorney, and so she said, we're going to go in, and you're going to go to driving school, and there are things you can do to get this lessened or removed, and we're going to walk that out. And I say what most husbands say to their wives, yes, ma'am so we go into the court of law. The judge is a very um, sharp, abrasive individual, happened to be a woman judge in there, and I was shocked just by roll call, like she was yelling at people. Before we even started talking in the agendas, like she called somebody's name, and he stood up and he said, here, and she said, sit down in my courtroom. I mean, that was kind of where it all began. And I thought to myself, this is going to be quite an interesting experience. And so she calls my name. And my case comes before, and she starts looking, and she says, how dumb is it? I mean, this was, this was literally the way. Was. How dumb is it to see four signs and still turn right on red? And Tracy, my attorney, my advocate, my wife, whom I love, who I thought loved me, stands up, and she says, I'm representing my client, Your Honor, And we agree, I don't remember how she said it, but it was something like this. And we agree, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. It was something, (laughs) something along those lines, cooperating with her comment about my stupidity. And, And ultimately, you know, she was representing me. I just sat there. And, and in all honesty, I had been stupid. How many of you know I had been stupid? Don't do that. Don't turn right on red when there's a sign that says don't turn right. And especially if there are four signs, because the lawyer and the judge will concur you're an idiot. And so what we, what we want to understand is that same sense of advocacy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands up in our behalf in a declaration of the law of righteousness in the courtroom with God the Father, and he says something like this, your honor, we agree he's an idiot, but we're pleading for the grace that I have provided that you might let him go. <laughs> This is where this all begins. This is, this is where we begin to proclaim and declare in our stead. His advocacy takes us in to the deeper purposes of God, and the grace of God then gets assigned to our lives. The book of Hebrews reveals Jesus as our perfection. He stands in the gap, and He makes the way. So I love to give each week, as we're looking at each book of the Bible in this progression, context and history. Um, So I'll do just briefly that with the book of Hebrews. We don't really know who the writer is. Some say it's Paul, some say Barnabas, some say Luke, some say others. We're not really sure who the human author is of this book, but that does not negate the fact that the origin of authorship actually is God. And God revealed uh, this book that did pass the test of canonicity and is included in divine scripture that we um, embrace and believe in so fervently. And so we, we see some interesting perspectives. Obviously the book of Hebrews was being written to Jewish Christians because of all the reference to the Old Testament alignment and there's such revelation of Christ When you start walking through that, as we've gone through all of the Old Testament books now, almost now all the New Testament books, seeing how Jesus is uniquely revealed in each and every book, we come into this place of the book of Hebrews and right up front in the first two verses, if you ever decide I'm gonna dive in and read the book of Hebrews, it's kind of a longer New Testament book and you might totally miss these first two verses because you're kind of looking at the length of the book. But I wanna start with the first two verses and point something out that is so easy to miss. Hebrews chapter one, verses one to two. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom all He made the universe." It's really fascinating when you look at this. God used to speak through imperfect humans, the prophets, in various ways, uh, taking on different perspectives. And, but now He speaks to us through His Son, Jesus. I appreciated. it. Haley had no idea where I was going today, but she got up and she said, I want you to shout Jesus. We're singing about Jesus. I mean, everything is about Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to see as we Sort through all of this today. It is so important that we not sidestep the value and importance and the role that God the Father has declared Jesus will serve in our generation and in generations uh, after Jesus came, particularly expressing and fulfilling the Old Testament law, literally ushering in New Testament revelation that we might know that we are the priesthood of God established in Christ, revealed in the earth to expand the work of God. It's phenomenal when we begin to see the book of Hebrews and how it crystallizes this ministry transition into the priestly ministry of the New Testament and and really uh, expresses who you and I are. And, And how many of you know if I say, do you know who you truly are in Christ? Nobody in the room can answer fully and completely yes. Because we're spending our entire lives trying to figure out who God really has released us to be in Christ. That's like you, eternity is in your heart, okay? The eternal purpose of God is something that you're going to spend your whole life, it's, it's kind of like going from level of that game in your life. You know, whatever that stage is, that level of level of corporate advancement. There's always like the next level of whatever it is that's before you and you're constantly looking for something more because you were born for something more than this world has to offer. No success in your life is ever going to satisfy your life because there's something eternal within you that's gnawing at your soul as you go to bed at night and as you wake up in the morning and until you begin to discover what that Really is, and the purpose of God for which you were designed and crafted by the hand of God, then you will simply live your life in a sense of, of feeling incomplete in the conclusions that life has. And listen, the whole world needs to know the eternal purposes of God. Do you understand? Every human being on the planet needs to know the eternal purpose of God for which they were created. This is why you and I are here as advocates in this regard. In the same way Jesus relates to us and Jesus relates to the Father, bringing us to the Father, you and I now are to relate to God And relate to humans around us, bringing God and humans together. The the result of our lives should be the expression of human flourishing. The result of our lives, like we should be those that are promoting order and strength and love and encouragement, not chaos. We should be about the business of this. And it shows up in different ways for different people. Different gifts have different expressions, and mine is definitely non-conventional. I I thought about how I was an advocate once. I like to to take my computer and just go land in coffee shops. And in this one particular instance, I was sitting, and I I turn on the worship music, put in the earbuds, and I'm focusing in studying, you know, listening, praying, preparing, looking ahead at where we're going, and, and, and asking the Lord to help me sense that, see that, so that we can have conversations as a leadership team and really get what God's desiring, and, and so I'm, I'm engaged, I'm focused, and there's a group that they're getting a little loud. You know, the, you know how those groups get. They're, they're like row two here whenever they show up at different restaurants. They, they get a little loud over and they're all kind of around the table, and I'm watching because they're next to me, and then there's this other table right here with one chair, and, and a guy walks in, and he puts his bag down on the table. What does that mean in a coffee shop culture? You put your bag on the table, that means... My table, right? My table associated with my chair. I'll be right back. And then he goes up to order his coffee. And as he's up there ordering, somebody else comes in to join the crowd party over here. And they walk up and say, hey, guys. There's no place to sit. So they grab the chair that's by the table with the bag that declares ownership of the table and the chair. And they bring it over and sit down. I see this happen, and I think, this is going to be good. I take out an earbud to watch and hear and participate." And and he gets his order in and he comes walking back to his table and very, very passive aggressive. Like he didn't say anything, but he said everything. He he walks back to the table and he's like, I mean, so loud that everybody at the table who's being loud stops talking and looks. Nobody ever says anything, but the tension is in the room. And he just looks at them, and he reaches over and grabs another chair and you know, shoves it under there and sits down and pulls out his stuff. And I'm sitting, he's here, they're here, and the tension has now filled the room. My gift has to kick in. <laughs> he gets up, they call his name, he gets up to go get his coffee, and they're all looking, and they kind of realize I'm now looking. I pull out my other earbud and I participate. I reached over and grabbed his chair and pulled it over to my table and just sat there and thought, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> he, he came walking back and I, he literally had his coffee in his hand. When he saw it, he was like... And then I started laughing, and I said, here's your chair. I was just teasing. And then they started laughing, and then they started talking. I mean, it was crazy. I'm glad I didn't get punched in the face. But... (laughs) it was amazing, like the tension in the room disappeared, they all were jovial about it, when I left a little later, like they were all high-fiving each other, and I said, hey, I mean, it was the craziest thing, how tension was relieved, and relationship was born. You and I live in a world, use your gift the way your gift is expressed, but you and I live in a world where tension exists, that Jesus has mobilized us to step in and relieve tension and draw people into relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords that will awaken people to understand the purpose for which they were born. This is so cool. Like our Christianity is not this boring thing that we serve religious obligation and duty to, but it's like the purpose of God, the purpose of God awakened within us because of what Jesus has done for our lives. and This is is important because Jesus is central to all of it. He's the one that connected with you so that you can connect with others. He's revealed all throughout the Old Testament. In fact, if you write this in your first blank, Jesus has been magnificently revealed throughout the ages as God's plan to redeem mankind. Have you ever been watching a movie and you miss an important segment? You know, you are into the bathroom, whatever, but you miss an important segment, and then like you come back into the movie, and you no longer know really the plot or what's going on, you miss something, and when that happens, then you have to give the movie your own context, draw your own conclusions with incomplete information, and you might not ever really figure out the fullness of what was taking place if you miss an important segment. And I want you to understand that's exactly where many Christians live today in their uh, perspective of who God is because they're not discovering who Christ is. And when you don't know who Jesus is in Genesis and you don't know who Jesus is in Leviticus, listen, Jesus in Leviticus, I think, has been my most favorite Sunday in all of these 66 Sundays that we're driving toward. And somebody came in from out of state and when when I, I announced that morning, I'm going to be speaking on Jesus revealed in Leviticus. She she after the service told me that she heard me say that and she just dropped. She was like Oh my Lord, this is going to be so boring. And that day, like God awakened something within her. She said, I had no idea God's Word was so rich in those places that don't seem to be rich. I just want you to know, Jesus is woven in in amazing ways. And Hebrews reminds us to look for Christ in everything that God has done to try and give us a more comprehensive picture of what God's plan is in the world. And I I, I didn't have time to do... know all this today in my message. So I blog every week and I lay this out and I help you if you want to go deeper. Our goal is to get you to fall in love with the Savior and grow deeper in the Word. So go to the blog and take a look at some of these things. I've actually put in there a six-minute Uh, tour of the tabernacle. That was puberty happening, I think. A six-minute tour. Did you hear my voice crack? Uh, The six-minute tour of the tabernacle uh, uh, that you go through, and it shows you Christ revealed in each and every uh, component of the tabernacle. It's fascinating, but he is everywhere. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I just want to say his name some more today. Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The name of cancer is beneath the name of Jesus. The name of divorce is beneath the name of Jesus. The name of depression is beneath the name of Jesus. Jesus is worthy of our undivided attention and our undivided affection. That's why we gather. That's why we worship. When we give him his rightful place in our lives, when we give Jesus his rightful place as Lord in our lives, everything else falls into place. And until we give Jesus his rightful place of Lord of our lives, things simply are misplaced and needing to be rearranged, reorganized. That's why we see this incredible prophetic declaration of the the shepherd heart of God that would be revealed one day in the Messiah who would come, Psalms 23. It's an amazing prophecy. All these different leaders, all kinds of corruption in the religious circuitry of the Old Testament still existing in many instances today you're never going to get rid of all of the fallen element of humanity in the midst, but don't grow dismayed. Don't grow discouraged. Keep your eyes not on man, but on Jesus. I'm going to fail you. I'm going to let you down, but don't look at me. Look to him. He wants to personally be involved in every one of our lives and move us beyond the excuses that we make because we saw somebody that didn't, you know, make the cut, whatever. It makes us feel better about ourselves when we put somebody else down. But What we need to do is stop with the comparison mindset and realize we're only going to be complete, we're only going to be whole, we're only going to be well when we stop comparing comparing and we just get next to Jesus with whom we can never compare. Therefore, we stop the comparison mode and we say, I need your love. I need your that's when you're gonna wake up to something that will be ignited in your soul. The Lord is my shepherd. What does it say? I shall shall not want. That word want is really interesting. It's all about desire and appetite and passion and pursuit. The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, everything about that which I desire is discovered in my relationship with God that moves into this personal dynamic. The Lord is my shepherd. My wants, my desires, my appetites, my passions, my pursuits, they'll only be truly fulfilled when the revelation of Christ is awakened within me. He really is the bread that sustains true life. He really is the well we drink from and never thirst again. Chapter 2, verse 1. It says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, To what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Pay very close and careful attention to what we have heard, so we don't drift away. How many of you have heard the gospel over and over? You've heard about the life of Christ, the love of God, the power of God. You've heard about the healing strength of God. You've heard about all these things, but it says in Scripture, we must pay careful attention so we do not drift away. Drifting like doesn't happen all at once, does it? Drifting takes place a little bit at a time and you don't even notice that it's happening. Pay careful attention so you don't drift away from that which God is desiring to reveal in your life, to, to cause you to become all that he desires for you to be. And I, Just with everything that's been going on in the last few weeks, it's been phenomenal. Our kids went to kids camp and had an incredible encounter with God. We had two busloads of kids that went and they had an amazing, amazing time of experiencing the presence of God aren't you glad our kids are encountering the presence of God? It was amazing to see them come back so fueled and fired and ready. And, and then last Sunday was amazing. The whole weekend was just crazy. It was our 20-year ministry celebration where we started Master's Commission 20 years ago, and we celebrated two decades of intentional ministry training as a church family. People came in from all over the nation. Videos streamed in from England. Uh, we you know, worked with people in a variety of places, and that whole weekend was celebrating what God's done in the course of the 20 years. Sunday morning was just so impactful with all those pastors and leaders and and ministry you know just students that had come and we gathered together in this place and we celebrated and then Sunday night I think we had 25 people signed up to be baptized and by the end of the night we had like 40 people baptized because that night people got saved and immediately said I want to be baptized now. They didn't bring back up clothes. They just wanted more of what God had. I mean, it was an amazing weekend, and the fireworks going off. When I was driving home, I was full. I felt satisfied. I felt encouraged. And you have to be very careful, because it's a very dangerous place to be. Because what happens, we have these encounters, and the youth had this incredible encounter this week. We, We went down on Thursday to be with them the last night. I mean, it was when you've got dancing dinosaurs in worship, you've got something going on. I mean, it was it was really I uh, just there, but I'm telling you, it was it was heaven invading earth. What Haley's describing is absolutely what happened. There is a generation that God is raising up, and they are not going to play games and mince words about their faith. They are giant killers in the land. They are going to be raised up to be powerful, mighty men and women of God. And all of these things are wonderful experiences and wonderful encounters, but I want you to hear me as I say this, because it's vitally important, even today as we gather and we're having a sense of encounter out of worship and the Word, and we're we're celebrating, we're clapping, we're applauding, we're amen it's a great encounter with God. But what we have to do once we encounter God is then rehearse that revelation to bring those deposits to greater maturity. You hear what I'm saying? You cannot live on yesterday's manna ever. You have to find today's manna. It's wonderful to encounter God, but I want you to understand, rhythm is more powerful than encounter. Now, encounter has the power to change your rhythm for the rest of your life. But rhythm must come out of encounter. Encounter must give birth to rhythm so that you're sustaining the deposits that God put within you and bringing them to greater maturity. Anybody in this room want to grow and be more mature, mightier, and stronger than you've ever been in your faith and your relationship? Come on, why don't you just be a devil killer today? and declare, we kill giants, we move mountains, we hiss the enemy away. That doesn't happen because we hope it happens. It happens because we dig in and we declare, I am strong in the Lord, and I will grow stronger every day that I live. But we have to purpose to do that. We have to pay careful attention to what God has revealed so that we do not drift away. If you only, this is your next blank, if you only eat spiritually when somebody else is feeding you, you're going to live a life that is constantly spiritually malnourished. Welcome to church where we are very serious about the ministry of God's word. We understand the Bible actually says it is. Uh, it's kind of a dangerous thing to want to be a teacher of Scripture because you're judged from a different level. There's a certain level of judgment that I'm going to face that if you're not a teacher of the Word, that you won't have to face with God. It's a, it's a serious, we take it very seriously when we start talking about rightly dividing God's Word in the body of Christ. You, I, I will guarantee you we are praying, fasting, praying, having conversations, seeking God. We're, we're in here early this morning and, and worship practice. is isn't just like practicing the notes, but there's just this flow of worship and revelation. I invite you to show up at 8 o'clock on Sunday morning sometime and just walk in here and pray. That's my Sunday morning. I just walk in here and pray, and, and somewhere in the conclusion of worship, I get up, and we just begin to pray into the morning. We begin to prepare and cultivate an atmosphere so the rich deposits of God are coming into your... You understand, you're not experiencing God's presence just because you happened into it. Somebody's being intentional about what they're releasing in this place so that you're getting a benefit of a rich release from god almighty and if you only let that be your nourishment you will be spiritually malnourished that's why you must perpetuate rhythm spiritual rhythms in your life hebrews chapter 5 speaks of this maturity in verse 12 to 14 he says by this time you ought to be teachers By this time, what he's saying is, by this time, you shouldn't be all focused on you and what you can get, but by this time, you should be mature enough to understand it's not about what you can get, but it's about how you can effectively give into the lives of other people. By this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk. Not solid food. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, who by constant use, who by, say it with me, constant use, let's all say it together, who by constant use, constantly using God's Word, trains us to discern right from wrong, to distinguish good from bad or evil. To memorize the Bible is to memorize the mind of God. When was the last time you purposed a portion of scripture that you were going to memorize? When was the last time you led your household in such a thing? This is a spiritual rhythm. We're very serious about what God has asked us to do. We want to perpetuate rhythms that will not only impact our lives, but come on, rhythms that will impact generations that will come even after we're long gone. We can do that. We must purpose to do that. Take responsibility for your faith and refuse to make excuses. Well, I get up early. I can't really get up earlier and pray. I got a lot going on. I really can't make it to church all the time. I mean, there's just a lot of things going on and I just can't really prioritize the things God wants me to prioritize. Stop making excuses. Take responsibility for your faith. Develop a strong rhythm of gathering corporately. That means when you wake up, I don't know if you realize or not, there are some Sundays I wake up and I think, I really don't want to go to church. I've had a rough couple of weeks. How about you? Like, I, we've had a lot going on. We have had three families staying in our home for uh, eight days. That means, like, one family stayed through Sunday morning. They left. We had to clean the house. Another family came in Sunday night. They left Sunday morning. We had to clean the house. Another family came in Monday night. We left and left them in the house. Copper took care of them. We go to camp. Come home. The pool's messed up. I'm working outside all day, in the heat. Yesterday, I mean, it's just been exhausting. I woke up this morning and I was just dragging. Anybody dragging out of bed this morning? I know there's some youth campers just dragging out of bed. Develop a strong and mature rhythm of gathering corporately. When you wake up and you say, "Well, I'm not sure," then make the choice to do it. Make the choice. Develop a strong rhythm of seeking God personally turn the page. Have your place of devotion where you're seeking God. Memorize scripture, develop a rhythm of, of loving, serving, and giving routinely, consistently. What Brian was talking about on the video earlier, this breaks selfishness and materialism off of our lives in a culture. How many of you know that creeps in on all of us culturally? We have to constantly break that in our lives. And, and, you know, I, People sometimes, Pastor, it sounds like you're actually wanting to get us to arrange our lives in such a way that one of our greatest priorities of our existence is showing up and giving so that the kingdom of God can expand in the earth. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I'm asking you to do. That's exactly what God asks us to do. Jesus didn't come and die so that we could be spiritual. Jesus died so that the church could be strong, that we could come to know Christ, that we would build a church family that will live and last and minister to generations well beyond us. This church has been here for a long time. And there are a lot of people who gave themselves so sacrificially so that this place could exist when I first walked through the door, when you first walked through the door. What are we leaving to the next generation? I want to answer that question. We're leaving a devil chasing Jesus-loving, powerful church family behind. Come on! Come on, give him about 60 seconds of praise. It's about Jesus.